In our text this morning, we'll look at the befriending love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 5. So turn with me to the second gospel in the New Testament. Mark chapter 5. And we'll look at the second half of that chapter, 21 verses 21 to 43. And there we read the word of God as follows. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. A 
Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 73. We'll sing two stanzas, 8 and 9. 8 and 9 of Psalm 73. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you superstitious? You know, it's amazing in this modern day and age still how much superstition exists. Take hockey players, for instance. You might know some of them believe if you tap your hockey stick 88 times during the playing of the national anthem, you'll win the game. If you grow playoff beards, that'll help. Maybe the Canucks should have shaved. It's not just hockey players, though. Even very intelligent people can have superstitions. You'd be surprised. Sometimes Christians, even. I personally know of a Reformed family. This was a few decades ago. They had a little baby pass away at a young age. They gave the next child the Lord gave them the same name. But this time, no middle name. Like they didn't want to jinx the new baby. It's often been said that people in Bible times were very superstitious. And no doubt they were. They were made of the same stuff as we are, just like today. But then it's said, that's why the Bible is full of all these exotic miracles. People didn't know what we know today. They didn't have our science So in the mind of many people today, Christianity and superstition and the Bible and fairy tales, those really are not too far apart. But then we can read Mark 5, our text for this morning. This is a passage that certainly says, with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian life, superstition does not cut it. The Lord Jesus Gives The Lord Jesus wants something much richer. Faith. At first, yes, there is some superstition here. There's a man by the name of Jairus. He comes to Jesus begging that he would but put his hands upon his sick little daughter and she would get better. You might know there are others in the Gospels who have a greater faith than that. Who simply say to Jesus, if you would but say the word, my servant would be healed. And then there's that woman with the flow of blood who wants to just reach out and touch someone, touch Jesus. You might know that in those days, the Jews wore these little tassels, four of them, around the corners of their outer garment, their cloaks. God had commanded Actually, that there be little tassels that hang to remind his people of the law, that it's sort of to be around your feet, that it's to guide your your steps, always be with you. Many people later on believed that those little tassels were sort of like good luck charms. Certainly those of a teacher, a rabbi like Jesus, they must be very special. This woman... Certainly seems to think so. And the fact that power just sort of leaves Jesus just like that might indicate that she is right. But Jesus will not allow that. That's what we see 
here in our text. This woman, this man, but they're not left in their superstition. They're brought to faith. And that's something so much richer. I mean, superstition, just look at it for a moment. Superstition believes almost in sort of random forces. It's something very impersonal. But faith, faith knows there is a God, a personal God. It knows there is a God who loves and cares for us. Superstition is something that people just sort of dabble in. But faith, faith is a much richer connection than that. Faith engrafts you into the Lord Jesus Christ. Superstition is generally for sort of little things in life. But faith, just look at Jairus' daughter here. Faith is something for the great realities of life and even of death. I've summarized then our sermon like this. Christ wants and works a true faith in him. And we'll look at the two people, the two main characters here, a woman and a girl. Now the Lord Jesus is by the town of Capernaum where there's a synagogue ruler who has a very sick girl. She is at death's door. You could translate the text. He comes, he falls at his feet before Jesus. Well, that's quite something for an important person to do. He pleads earnestly, my little daughter is dying. I mean, you know later on, she's 12 years old. Little here in the Greek language, and in many languages, little is a term of endearment. Like maybe you can remember the RSV of one John always talking about little, my little children, how John addresses the church there. It's a term of endearment. My little daughter is dying. And I want you to remember too, just hold on to that, that little detail. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Very short line there, a very beautiful line. So Jesus went with him. He didn't have to be dragged. He had come to show the love, the power of God. He will come into your life too. If you will call out to him. A large crowd follows. And in that crowd is a woman who's had a flow of blood for 12 years. And her story now seems to interrupt Jairus's. The technical term for this is sandwiching. And if you were to read the Gospel of Mark, you'd see that it's something that he does in many places where sort of one event is is pulled apart and then another one is inserted into the middle of it. And that's because these two stories, a woman with his 12-year-old illness and then the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, they, they belong together, actually. They interpret each other. Let's look at this woman for a moment. There's a woman who's had this a flow of blood for 12 years. 
That must have led to all sorts of problems. I'm no doctor. I'm told if you have a flow of blood for 12 years, you're likely to be anemic, very weak. But of course, that's just the beginning. This is a flow of blood that would have made her unclean. It would have isolated her. It would have made her a kind of leper. She certainly could not go to the temple. I mean, imagine that for 12 years. In fact, anyone who even touched her or anyone who sat on the same chair as she sat would also become unclean. Most likely then, she did not have a husband. And certainly if she lived in a small town like Tabor, her illness would have become very public. People, you have to imagine, would likely keep their distance from her. Maybe we could compare it today to knowing that somebody has AIDS, something like that. The word that Mark uses, that the Lord Jesus uses for her suffering, is actually the same word for whip. Her bleeding was like a whip. It was a true affliction, and that had beat her up. She had been to many doctors where she had spent all that she had, Instead of getting better, she only got worse. Talk about salt on the wound. In the Talmud, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, there actually are some very strange remedies for this kind of bleeding, some sort of medical advice. These things are said. Carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in the summer in a linen, in winter, in a cotton rag. Supposedly that would cure you. Or carry undigested barley found in the dung of a white she-donkey. Serious. Very superstitious stuff. Certainly you'd see that even these cures are a bit of a disgrace. Cures. It will be an understatement to say that this woman has a miserable life. From a human point of view, she has no life at all. And she's beyond hope. But she's heard of Jesus. She knows there's something different about him. He's not like the doctors that she's been to. When Jesus comes through her town... She makes her move. There is a crowd following around, following the Lord Jesus Christ. But this woman is desperate. She pushes through the crowd. If I can only just touch the edge of his cloak, those those little tassels, that would be enough. I will be healed. And I can slip away unnoticed and enjoy a new life. Immediately, we read, her bleeding does stop. What her life savings could not do, the Lord Jesus does in a split second. She knew in her body that she had been freed from her scourge. But then Jesus does what this woman feared the most. He turns around. He looks out over the crowd. He singles her out. She comes forward. He puts her in the spotlight. 
He's been aware of this miracle. Power has come forth from him. Some commentators said this seems rather crude. As if Jesus is sort of just a charged battery and all you have to do is touch him. As if then he doesn't deliberately heal her. And it's just sort of accidental. But read the text carefully. That's never said. But certainly against this backdrop, the Lord Jesus can then highlight the nature of a true faith. Who touched my clothes? He asks. The disciples think that's a crazy question. The crowd is impressing around him. But Jesus keeps looking out over the crowd. The woman comes trembling before him. Actually, in the Greek, Mark, the Holy Spirit, attaches the trembling, not so much with coming before Jesus, but actually with what happened to her. People, if you were to read the Gospel of Mark, you'd see that people are trembling all the time. They're trembling because in Jesus they begin to realize they have come face to face, not just with a sort of magician, a faith healer, with the mighty God Himself. She trembles because she knows she has experienced divine power in her life. And then before the whole crowd, she tells him her story. Perhaps it was rather embarrassing to talk about her illness in public, to talk about her desperation. She certainly didn't want attention. But then look at the beautiful way the Lord Jesus responds. Daughter, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your scourge. Do you see what these words do? This is even greater than the miracle. Stopping the flow of blood. Daughter. This woman. I think we could probably assume that she's probably older than the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, as the Son of God, as God Himself, He extends a relationship to her. He adopts her. He calls her to know His love, His care. He binds Himself to her. Daughter. Jesus does not want her to view him like he's just some sort of good luck charm in some sort of superstitious way. He wants her to know his love, his care. He wants us all to know that. If she had slipped away, she certainly would have known his power, which was great, but she would not have known his love equally as great. This woman was an outcast, a kind of leper, like she had aims, shunned by many. But Christ, as the Savior, brings life again to her. Not just healing from this flow of blood, but a relationship. That's where life is, after all. A relationship he brings even with God. No longer will this woman be alone. Daughter. God breaks into her, into our Isolation. 
Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith. Not some magical touch of my garment. Your faith. Continue to believe and to trust. This is the foundation for that new life with me. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Jesus says this after her miracle. So this being freed from her suffering must be something additional. It's now live truly free. Live in the joy of this miracle. Live this new life that has given, been given to you. Which first of all is about a relationship. Where you are connected again to your God, to me, to others. My daughter. Let's leave it at that. Because while Jesus is still speaking, some people come bearing bad news. And that's our second point. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' home. This delay, though, seems to be deadly. Why bother the teacher anymore? Some messengers come and say, your daughter is dead. Notice they call him teacher, rabbi. An important title, but it also means in their view that the power of Jesus is limited. Perhaps he can heal as a teacher. But in their opinion, he certainly cannot raise the dead. That would take more than a teacher. Perhaps he has some superstitious kind of power that can deal with diseases, but no one tries to use good luck charms to raise the dead. Superstition only goes so far. But Jesus is not just a teacher or a faith healer, a magician. He is the Son of God who has power and authority over all of sin and its misery. And so he calls out to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. Now that is certainly a challenge. Jairus has just heard news that his daughter is dead. And maybe Jairus might think this, my daughter is dead because you've spent time with this woman with the, with the flow of blood and you, you haven't rushed to, to my home. Well, perhaps I'm putting words in Jairus' mouth, but certainly the woman with the flow of blood, her disease was not a matter of life or death. If this was an emergency room, an ER, and you as a doctor treated a woman who was bleeding as opposed to a girl who was right at death's door, you could be sued for that. But in the greater sovereignty of God, this woman with the flow of blood, that has not been a, a delay. She's just what Jairus needs. Jairus, like all of us, needs to learn a desperation. Do you have that in your faith? The faith that we have, that we will exercise this week too, is not just a matter of, yes, I believe certain things to be true. You know, what the church teaches. 
Our faith needs to be, this is my life. I cling to it desperately. If only I can get to Jesus even just to touch Him. That weak woman did have that. She was desperate enough to fight through a crowd in her weakened state. Will Jairus have that kind of faith? Will we? Jairus, like all of us too, also needs to know the tender love of God, of Christ. He needs to see Jesus not just in some sort of superstitious, faith healer kind of way. Not just His power then. He needs to hear too Jesus saying, daughter, to that woman. That our Savior also has a love that is stronger than death. Jairus needs to see there is a Savior who can deal with sin. Also in its shame, in its uncleanness. Because you know, right now, there's a huge issue for Jairus with his daughter dead. He had asked that Jesus would come and lay his hands on his daughter. Now she's dead. And of course you know from Old Testament law that to put your hands on a dead body, you try not to do that. That makes you unclean. But will Jairus see? Also through this woman with the flow of blood. Jesus is not just some sort of faith healer. He has power over uncleanness. The unholiness that we find ourselves in. That the leper, for instance, was but a sign of. That unholiness that cuts us off from the temple, from the living presence of God. And of course, that is our biggest problem. As sinners, we're not just ill from time to time. We are unclean. And we know it ourselves. We do begin to feel shame and guilt, especially when we come near the true God. But look at this woman healed from her flow of blood. Jesus is greater than that shame. The uncleanness of sin. At first then, this woman seems to be a problem. She delays Jesus. But God is at work here. This is just what Jairus needs. Jesus then takes the inner group of disciples with him. When he arrives at the house, there's all these mourners that have been hired In those days, you probably know, you hired professional mourners, flute players. You hired women to wail and to to clap. Clearly, all these professional mourners, too, this girl is not in a coma. That was popularized in the 19th century as an interpretation of this miracle. A time, too, when the Bible was very much under attack. These professional mourners wouldn't be so ignorant. They would know if someone was in a coma or not. She is dead. Why all this commotion and wailing? Jesus asks. The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laugh at him. Jesus then puts them all out of the house. 
He not only drove the money changers out of the temple, he also drove the mourners out of this house. Those who laugh at him. Be warned too, those who mock him will never see any miracles. And then, to the shock of all, he goes in and he takes this girl by the hand. You see that growing crescendo to this chapter? First of all, there's an unclean woman who touches Jesus. Now he touches a dead girl. That would be unthinkable in those days, especially to those then that that know the law of God, the law of Moses, who have been trained in the holiness of God. He says to her, Talitha, kum. That's Aramaic, like our word Abba. It's the language of the home. It's the language of familiarity and friendship and intimacy. Maybe like how some of us still use the odd Dutch word now and then in our homes. Talitha. Do you know what that means? First of all, it means little lamb. Little lamb. Then it was used as a term of endearment to children. A kind of pet pet name. You know, maybe a dad today. Maybe you have sorts of pet names for your girls, your little girl, my little lady, my princess, something like that. Little lamb, get up. It's the kind of thing that a mom might say too. On a school morning, when she enters your room and pulls the the curtains, princess, rise and shine. And the dead girl does. She gets up from the dead. Just like she's been asleep. What power and what love. Remember that little thing that I told you to hold on to at the beginning of the sermon. Jairus, he says, My little daughter is dying. Now we hear Jesus. What does he say? Talitha. Little lamb. A term of endearment as well. That little girl is also dear to the Lord Jesus. We can have great comfort. Our children are also God's children. They are dear to us. They are even dear to our God, to our Savior. The kind of love that we have as parents, that we might remember on Mother's or Father's Day, All of that is really but a shadow of the greater fatherly love of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, at first, this woman and Jairus, they don't have it easy. And Jesus makes it even harder on them. He calls this woman out of the crowd to come before him. He demands that Jairus believe even in the face of death. Superstition would be a lot easier and simpler. Jesus wants more. As one man said, when you turn to Jesus, you will be asked for more than you want to give. More trust, more faith. But you will also receive more than you dared imagine. 
Talitha, daughter. We too, as sinners, we often want faith at a sort of distance. We want to have a 911 kind of faith. Or we go to Jesus just in the tough times. We want to have the miracles of the Lord Jesus, His power, and then maybe run. Jesus demands more. That we cling to Him in faith. He wants a desperate faith. He wants a faith that continues to believe even in the face of death. But that faith also receives much more than we can imagine. Daughter, I hold it out to you too. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. And you will know the fatherly love and care of your God. Talitha. You will not only know the power of God, you will see the tender love of God in action. That love that is yet strong enough to even raise the dead. You will know the hand of God in your life. Look at Jesus here. He takes this little girl by the hand. That really is a picture of salvation itself. God taking us by the hand again as a father. In the midst of our miseries, our struggles, even our death. That's what the life and the death of Jesus means. God taking our hand again. And you know, you see, if a little child can take the hand of their father, all is well. But to lose that hand is disastrous too. That's what would happen to our Savior Himself. On the cross, there He was forsaken. He lost the hand of His Heavenly Father that we might always have it. He was disowned that we might be adopted, that we might know the kind of love that Jesus shows here. Daughter, Talitha. There is a world of difference between a superstitious person looking for a quick fix and a follower of Jesus filled with faith. The follower of, the follower of Jesus knows life again. That life that we are joined, we are brought into the family of our Heavenly Father. That we know His fatherly care and tender love. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your life over to Him in desperation. Make Him your hope and your all. And one day, I can promise you, the Lord Jesus will take you too by the hand. He will raise you up as easy as He raised this girl. He will raise you up in tender love and almighty power. And He will bring you to your Heavenly Father for all eternity. Amen.